Welcome back to another episode of the Bowfinger Minute Podcast, where each week, folks in the Movies by Minutes organization host the 1999 Frank Oz-directed and Steve Martin-written comedy, Bowfinger, one minute of screen time per episode. I am your host, Alan Sanders, and joining me once again is my co-host, and this, because we're switching every other day, from across the pond, across the desert, all the way into the Holy Land, Movie Rob. Hey, Rob, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, thanks for having me on the show, Alan. <laughs> thanks, exactly. thanks, thanks for, for allowing me to. Thanks for letting me partake. You know. <laughs> I think uh, this is a great uh, collaborative effort. We've mentioned that a couple of times. I have th- very much enjoyed always being on with you. Um, ever since we, you know, when you first run across somebody and you get that invite, you think, oh, it's a movie I like. I want to talk about it, but you don't know the person. You never really truly know how you might kind of gel or mix or whether or not, you know, am I going to interrupt and cause somebody to get mad or is somebody going to say, okay, stop monologuing or, hey, do more. I brought you on to help be part of the show. And you kind of have to feel your way through. And I got to tell you, I look back at our uh, five minutes that we had for uh, the uh, Great Escape Minute and, dude, I am so happy we stumbled across each other's paths. It has been nothing but nonstop fun for me. Me too. But for seasons two, three, four, you know, we were able to let the juices flow. And just do things, you know, 50 minutes or an hour show each time. And, you know, like five times or even in Die Hard, we did, I think, eight episodes together. You know, so, you know, I've just had a lot of fun talking to you. I I love talking to you. And that's why, you know, this was the perfect collaboration for us to both be working on Bowfinger together. Mm. 100% agree. Well, folks, since you know you've already been listening to us for the last couple of days, let's go ahead and dive into this minute number 23, where Steve Martin, or a.k.a. Bobby Bowfinger, is wrapping up looking at his little pegboard, his sort of pin scenes on the cards of what we're going to film, and we're going to end with him going through, well, how Hollywood figures out how much movies really cost and all of the mumbo-jumbo that goes around it. Right. Well, Alan, I want to actually interrupt you before you get there. Okay. Because yesterday we started talking about, you know, at the end of yesterday's episode, we talked about the fact that that you found on the internet, you know, what Bowfinger uh, means from the Urban Dictionary. Right. Okay. So I, I decided that, you know, I had a little bit of time between yesterday and today, and I decided that I would actually go even a little deeper into that to try and find more things about what the word Bowfinger means. So okay. I, before we actually get into things, I figured I'll, I'll start with that. So I, I apologize for cutting you off with your intro to this episode, but I think this is 
you know, connected to yesterday's. So I think it works uh, better to do it before we start getting into the mumbo jumbo of today. So Take first away, of all, sir. first of all, it, the the term the bowfinger is actually a British alternative for giving someone the bird. <laughs> is it really? That's what I found. My knowledge is only as good as what I find on the internet. It is also sometimes considered a. You can do it as a two fingered salute or two fingers up. You know, it it usually is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but you have to spread up, spread those two fingers apart a little bit because it's usually a victory. You know, it's like making a victory sign. Mm-hmm. But you do that with the back of your hand. Exactly. And no one can see what you're doing you besides say exactly me. Exactly. If yeah. people are watching us. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see that you're doing it correctly. Okay. Sometimes it is used. Along with the phrase of off or up yours. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just trying to keep it a little bit family friendly for, for Jim. <laughs> I like it. Um, as we can get away with radio, because, you know, radio is a very regulated industry. We can't say the actual word F when we say F off, but I can say, hey, how about you go foff? Ooh, there you go. That works. Another definition of the term bowfinger is a person who is a disgrace to all humanity, a person who lacks intelligence and or success with the ladies. That's the type of thing that you were talking about yesterday. Right. It is also a verb that was originated in Miami, and it describes someone who is absolutely the greatest example of perfection, which it baffles me that that's the exact opposite of <laughs> the definition you gave yesterday. That, that runs completely contrary to not only everything you've just discovered kind of on the side, but also yeah. in the Urban Dictionary. That's correct. So it, it like the the phrase that they use here is, damn, that guy is so bowfinger, <laughs> which which could mean either way. You know, <laughs> now I can honestly tell you in my entire history of walking this planet, which we will find out today mathematically is the exact age of Bobby F- Bowfinger, because we now okay. can figure out his exact age. That's right. I have never, ever, ever anyone used the verb. Right. And it is also a a verb that you can uh, bowfinger, you know, someone who is bowfinger. Okay. It's actually named after this movie. And so buffering is when you film someone with or without their knowledge and then edit the film to make a story that is no part of it. <laughs> so I think that's great that this movie spawned the term that you can bowfinger somebody. Now, see, I get that. Like, if you told me that the definition was taken off of Steve Martin's name of the movie, I'm like, okay, of course. Now I know exactly what it means to bowfinger somebody in that context. Yeah. I, I agree. So yeah, those are the things I found. So, yeah, there we go. We have, we have a, a little bit more information as to what bullfingering, bullfing, bullfingering is or what a bullfinger, uh, someone who is a bullfinger or what they use with their hands. Who knows? By the way, using that last definition, I had a little bit of trivia, and I'm assuming someone's already covered it before now, but I thought I'd bring it up with you because I thought it was interesting that there was a rumor – that this movie was based on supposedly – I mean it, it is based on an event that really happened in – but not to the degree of not knowing that you're being filmed because supposedly back in 1927, there was a Russian filmmaker. The rumor was that he covertly shot footage of Mary Pickford and fashioned a film around it. But the reality was because Hollywood was trying to help the the, the basically emerging – the, the emerging Russian film industry, 
Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks both participated in just a couple of scenes just to kind of lend some credibility to it. And the name of that film was actually called Patselli Mary Pickford. <laughs> so okay. the rumor was, oh, yeah, Mary Pickford didn't know she was in this a low budget Russian film. And they just filmed her and put all these other scenes around it. But the reality is she and Douglas Fairbanks both were in it um, to help the industry to help the Russian, the Russian industry as they were basically starting up. Okay. That, that, that is That's very nice of them. That was very nice of pick fair to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into this. Um, we left off yesterday talking about the scenes and the, the big plan. We've got six major scenes that we got to film our main, our main star Kit Ramsey, everything else we can film on our own. We can just kind of fit all around it. When he says, and he pulls away, and it's almost like, and Steve Martin is so good at this, because when he's genuinely impressed with himself, it's not like an era of bragging or over the top. He actually looks like he just sold himself, because he goes, and bingo, we've got a movie. Like, like he just, it suddenly <laughs> hits him. Oh my God, we could pull this off. He really has sold it to himself. Right. That, well, that, that's who he is. He's the type of guy we see this throughout the entire movie. You know, he's he's making things up as he goes along. And, you know, we had this at the beginning of the week. Also, he had to convince himself while he was convincing them that this is, you know, that he's actually able to get Kit and that this is going to be a great thing for them. So he's, he's just saw, doing this again. But we saw the apprehension when he realized he had committed to the lie. This is right. the first time that I'm seeing him seeming comfortable with the plan. Like right. he finally, it's like it's like it clicked. It's finally like, okay, I knew I could lie my way through this, but now I suddenly feel, hey, this is a good idea. This may actually work. Right, but before he's even explaining this stuff to, I think his name is Dave, right? Dave. So yep. yeah, so he he the fact that he made the board and and knew how to write the ones in red and write the ones in, so he already was forming this idea this wasn't an idea that he just came up with on the spot right now no 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 it wasn't on the spot but i think in his pitch to dave by saying it out loud by having an audience by trying it out it sounded good to him it wasn't just in his own head anymore he right. actually pitched it to his the one guy that at this point in the time is the only one who knows the truth right okay that's fair and, of course, Dave immediately goes, that's crazy. He goes, yeah, but we're desperate. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about this next thing, you know, we talk about how this movie is poking fun at Hollywood, and it really is sort of a sat satirical view of the Hollywood mentality, the boisterousness, the braggadocio. Everyone's trying to one-up somebody. Everyone's trying to, like – they're all – it's all lying, but it's just sort of like accepted that we know you're lying because you want to sound more impressive than you are. You want to sound bigger than you are. You've got a bigger budget than you have. It's that whole sense. And what I love about this monologue from from Steve Martin is it's about age and ageism in Hollywood, which has been something that's been around for a very long time. I think it's gotten better. Uh, specifically for women. I think a lot of older women are finally being given opportunities well past their 30s, 40s, and 50s in, in, to, to stay active in film. Yeah. But mm -hmm. there is still that mentality that once you're no longer young, thin, and hot, your your career is over. Correct. And I love his line because he's like, well, why don't we just wait around for an actor who wants to be in this? You know, eh, come on, you, know, <laughs> you don't have to get Kit Ramsey. We could probably find somebody. And he's like, Dave, and I, okay, we're going to go through this. Dave 
I'm 49 years old. Admittedly, I could get away with 44, 41, maybe 38. But when you hit 50, they don't hire you anymore. They can smell 50. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of numbers in there. And I love the game of how everyone in Hollywood always says their age is actually younger than they really are. If they're young, they always say they're older than they are so that way they can get the parts. And when they're older, they say they're younger than they are so they can still get the parts. So I love that whole moment of recognizing if the Hollywood industry finds out I'm 50, that's it. We're done. We have to do it now because, quote, I'm 49, even though I could pass for 44, 41, maybe 38. (laughs) With that said, and I get some people go prematurely gray. In fact, Steve Martin did. Yes. Would you in any stretch of the imagination, if you saw Steve Martin walking towards you, say, well, there's a spry 38-year-old man. (laughs) It makes you wonder why he, you know, I guess it was part of his trademark because he's always had this white hair. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd think that he would have at some point dyed it. I mean, there are a few movies that he does dye it. Steve Martin is the guy with white hair, even when he was, you know, in his 30s. Right. You know, when you saw him on Saturday Live and stuff like that. But because of that, because of our preconceived notion that uh, white or silver hair is associated with someone who's more seasoned. Right. Would you buy, I mean, his face looks great. I mean, his skin looks great. But would you buy the, just a, if someone, if he walked in front of you right now as he's talking to you, would you think he could pass for 38? No, not at all. No, no. not at all. Not Which, for again, second. I think is a nice little dig at Hollywood. Yes, I think so. So, I mean, first of all, I am 49. So, you know, I think I'm, that means I'm at the cusp. You know, if I want to break out in Hollywood, I, I don't have much longer to go. I'm less, less than a year. Right. <laughs> you better get going. Yeah. Seriously. I apparently it's it's too late for me, but I want to prove this mathematically. It is technically by his own admission too late yes. for him. Correct. Because as he's working on the little lockbox, Dave says, "What's that?" And then here's monologue number 2, which is actually very well delivered. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's Steve Martin being sincere and genuine. He said, "When I was 10 years old, I knew I wanted to make movies, but I knew No one was going to give me that, so I started putting away $1 every week of my life. If I missed a week, I made it up later from age 10 on. And now you're looking at enough to get us started. $2,184. Now, with all those numbers, Rob, and I know you and I have had a chat behind the scenes, but for our audience... I was immediately clued in, like, okay, there's something more here. You yeah. got done talking about, I'm 49. I could pass for 44, 41, maybe 38. And then all of a sudden, it's exactly from age 10 to today, I have collected from every week of my life $2,184. I'm not a math person, but you know the first thing I did? I did the same thing. I did the math. I went $2,184, $2,184. And I divided it by 52. Correct. Because two weeks in a year, right? That's and you know right. what I came up with? The number 42. Yes. But he said he started collecting at age 10, which would make him how old, Rob? It would make him your age, not mine. Mine? <laughs> so he's already too late for Hollywood by his own admission, which is why I think he said, I'm 49. I think he's been saying 49 for the last three years. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, he's probably been saying it for longer than that. So no, I don't think he's been no. saying for 
think he stopped at 49. No, meaning he's been lying for, for, for well, years. No, he's only been yeah. lying. But to admit that he's 49, like he can't admit that I'm now in my 50s because of that mental idea. Once you hit 50, they can smell it. You're done. So he that's can't right. even admit he's 52. That's right. Okay, well, Steve Martin, when he made this movie, what, do you know how old he was? Actually, I don't. He was 54. Okay. All right. So, you know, he's his, he is playing a character who is supposedly five years younger than him. Which is fine, you know that that that's within the range of, of technically, Hollywood. <laughs> technically, two. <laughs> no, that's that's the thing. I I said who's saying that he's five years younger? Okay, so if he started, I, I I started doing a little bit of the math also. If he started collecting when he was ten, and he's supposedly forty nine, so if his birthday was this week, and again that that also works with the the forty two, you know it 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 means it's his birthday this week. Because it's exactly the number. I mean, it's 2,184, it exactly divides by 52, and you get 42. So mm -hmm. Bobby Bowfinger apparently just had a birthday this week. And, and that's why, you know, Ephraim gave him the, the script. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but if he's supposed to be... That's right. If he's supposed to be 49, so therefore he's been collecting the money for 39 years, so he should only have $2,028. Mm -hmm. All right, which is is a big difference because if you're we're talking a few years difference here, you know we're right. we're we're talking basically uh, what is it? It's about uh, one hundred and fifty dollars less. Yeah, something like that. Hundred yeah. right. It's it's pretty funny that that at some point he didn't decide to to start putting in putting away more than one dollar every week. I mean, it's funny, <laughs> obviously. You know, right. you, I, I can understand a ten year old putting away a dollar a week. That's fine. Okay, but once he probably started working let's say at 17, 18, you know, maybe at that point he would say, well, you know what, maybe I'll put away $2 a week, you know, for my big budget movie. Because he also probably didn't expect that it would take him till he was quote unquote 49 to finally get his big hit. <laughs> you know, and, and even though every movie is made with $2,184, you know, that's all you need. Now, we don't officially hear that today. Right. But I was going to say, joke is established, which I love. I hate that it cuts across the minutes, but when he makes that comment the, about the $2,184, Dave is looking at him like, what are you talking about, man? Movies cost millions of dollars. I loved this next. I had to be something improv because how many times have you heard about actors disputing their salary, their pay, because – they were supposed to get paid. The movie did really well, but supposedly the accountants all said, well, technically, after paying X and doing this and because of the formulas, we really lost money. We didn't make money, so we don't have to pay you. Like, everybody's out to try to figure out how to scam everyone out of their fair share of whatever their contract is. And for him, he goes on. It's just a litany of financial words. He literally says, as the minute is running down, he's like, because when he's like, it takes millions, he's like, that's after gross Net deduction, profit percentage deferment, 10 per, and probably the word percent. But I love, he's just throwing every financial term. It doesn't even go together. But I know what he's saying because I have heard so many times actors upset that they had a contract that was supposed to pay him X amount of dollars if the movie was so much profitable or if it ran so many over hundreds of millions and the bean counters come back and go, well, you know, technically after paying advertising and paying royalties and paying rates and paying intellectual, we actually lost money on this movie. So we don't owe you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
I actually looked up every one of those things because I'm terrible in economics. You know, so I, okay. I could tell you what they all mean if you really want. <laughs> I I could probably tell you exactly what every one of these means because I've been involved in business for a very long time. I just I, I want to repeat it again for the audience. If you've never seen this movie, the fact that he is just it's like they're they he can't really get them all out in a string like a sentence. It's just he's he's like that's after gross net deduction profit percentage deferment ten per. It's just to me I crack up. Every time I've watched it, even preparing for this minute, he's just trying to baffle Dave with all the terms that probably Dave, as we know, who has access to the equipment because he's on a Hollywood studio set, he's probably heard these same arguments in pieces, not all strung together like this. But he's probably heard like, oh, yeah, they deferred the uh, they deferred how much we were going to be making or no, that was the gross. We had to work off of the net. And uh, no, uh, that was after we had uh, 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 we had to take all the deductions out for all the stuff that we had to borrow ahead of time. So I I guarantee that it's just another insider joke. And uh, and if you want to go through each of those terms, that's fine. I'm just it, it strikes me so funny because here is this 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 body this this group we like to call it these creative outlet Hollywood that you would think are only made up of artists and creative people let's let's make this wonderful movie this great thing and this going to be great for culture and humanity and it's always still in the background people trying to figure out how to not pay other people what they're owed and to try to keep as many, as much of the profits for themselves but i don't think that's only in movies that's in most businesses oh no it's not <laughs> you just i think hollywood people and this is just me giving my sort of like maybe painting with too wide a brush. But I think if you were to ask anybody in Hollywood, oh, no, we're here for the creative endeavor. We're here for the artistic expression. We're here to show people, you know, a reflection of our own humanity, the culture of deep down. It's still the same thing. People don't want to pay any more than they have to. And they'd rather try to keep all the money for themselves. Sure. One of the things that I was caught on in this minute is the fact that he says, you know, about you know, once you turn 50, you can't have success anymore. That's it. You know, it doesn't matter. So I went and did a search and I found a list of, of 10 people who were over the age of 50 when they actually became successful. So I figured we, we would go through this list here. Let's see if how, that um, actually would better than breaking down these financial definitions. No, I, 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 I decided to skip that because, you know, I, I hated economics when, when I took it in 10th grade and I hated it when I took it in college. I don't really need to, to go through those nightmare uh, terms again. <laughs> and you're right. The, we just know they're all economic terms, and that's it. So well, we, we don't need to do that. So well, let's see if you, you've even heard of, uh, of these. I'm assuming you've heard of at least five, maybe okay. even six. Let's see. I, I, those are the ones that I've heard of. You know, so, so Have you ever heard of someone named Harry Bernstein? No. Okay, so he was a published writer who published his first novel known as The Invisible Wall, a love story that broke barriers. He was 93 years old when he wrote that, when he published that book. Okay, he gained literary fame at the age of 96 uh, when he finally published it in 2007. Okay, it was a memoir of his childhood uh, growing up in a poor Jewish family in a northern English mill town. And so this doesn't acting this is people no who are it's not just acting no, no no acting okay. acting is more difficult to say when someone broke out we you know for us to say it at least you know you, can, you can't say okay you know at this this person broke out at, at that age because sometimes 
you know, you used to have, uh, they used to have like the, what was it, uh, John Mills used to mm-hmm. have, you know, every year they would have like a list of the, the top 25 stars that are about to break out or something like that. Well, you know, we could do this, though. There are lists already of people who, yeah, they may have been acting their whole lives, but really didn't become a household name until after they were 50. Okay, we can do that. Let, let's, you want to do that first and then do my no, list or? Because no, no, I like the fact, I mean, you already did the research of people, I guess, in general who didn't. No, but some of these, even, some of these are people, you know, that everyone will know who they are. I'm not just talking, yeah, I mean, the first one obviously is random. You know, but it turns out that this guy went on to write three more novels. You know, he was he was ninety six wow. when his first book came out. You know, <laughs> so um, and the third one was published after his death in twenty twelve. Okay, then the next one you have a woman named Gladys Burl, who became a marathon runner at the age of ninety two. She set the world's record for the oldest woman to finish a marathon at that age, and she finished it in nine hours and fifty three minutes. In 2012. Hmm. Okay, then the third wow. one, another one that we probably uh, actually this one we probably have heard of uh, by a different by a different name though, Anna Mary Robertson Moses. You ever heard of that person? She was a painter. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm, not, also, I'm not up on art. <laughs> also known as Grandma Moses. Oh, I know that name. I know yeah. that's what I, I knew. Grandma I, Moses. I knew you would know that. So she. Um, she began her painting career at the age of 78, and nowadays they're, one, of her, one of her paintings sold in 2006 for $1.2 million, and she, she lived to the age of 101. Okay, then you have Paul Mark Roget, Rog, okay, who is the one who created Roget's thesaurus. Roger? Roger, okay, uh, all right, there you can bring that. Roget. It's Roger, yeah, Roger's the Roger, okay. Roger. So he was a lexicographer who started working at the age of 73, and he's he published uh, the Roger's uh, thesaurus when he was uh, 73 years old. That was the gold standard before there was this thing we like to call the internets. Yeah. Everyone had to have a copy of Roger's thesaurus when you were working on college papers or even high That's school right. papers to try to – broaden your lexicon that's right and that was in 1852 that's when, amazing yeah okay then the next one you definitely know laura ingles wilder uh-huh yeah little house on the prairie yep and when did she publish little house on the prairie that was in the 1800s no how old was she that's what i meant oh how old was she oh shoot when you got published um is it was it like in her 70s she was 65 65, okay, not quite yeah, 70. You're, okay. you're close, close. And she, she published eight books in the series. Little House on the Prairie, obviously. Um, okay, the next one you definitely have also heard of, Harlan Sanders. Oh, yeah, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's right, Colonel Sanders. How old is Colonel Sanders? How old do you think he was when he first franchised uh, KFC? Oh, when the franchise started, because he'd been doing cooking like his whole life, I right. think. But uh, I'm going to say probably the same thing, probably like late 50. I'm going to say like early 60s. That's right, 62. He was 62 years old, and he he ran the franchise for only 11 years before selling it. Sorry, for 12 years, including his recipe, you know, which he had the secret herbs and spices. And uh, he sold it for two million dollars when he was 74 years old. Next Not one, too bad. All right, exactly. Next one is Ray Kroc. Yeah, founder of uh, McDonald's. That's right. Well, it depends if you've seen the Michael Keaton movie where he actually stole the idea, but you know, we're, no one's really sure about that one. How old, how old was, was Ray Kroc when he opened up the first McDonald's restaurant? Yeah, uh, 
I'm going to say it's early 50s as well, like 54-ish. 59. Late 50s. Late 50s. The next one you've also heard of, Julia Child. Oh, yeah, Julia Child, the cook. That's right. Yes. At, at what age did she become famous? Uh, it was her show. Uh, it was called The French Chef. Yes. And that was when she was 51. Wow. Bingo. I knew Julia Child. And you knew the answer? You knew that yeah. it was 51? Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. All right, we got two more. The 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 first one you you haven't heard, you probably haven't heard of, and the second one you have. So it's Momofuku Ando. No, <laughs> I don't know that name. He was he is an inventor and businessman, famous for inventing instant noodles. Oh, nice. Right, I, I, and he I, only I, did I, it. He only did it when he was fifty years old, and then uh, ten years later he invented the cup noodle. So you know the if if top top ramen and cup noodles, or he actually lived till he was ninety six years old. And he uh, he claims that his l- longevity was because he would play golf all the time and eat cup noodles every day. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong. I love a good ramen That's noodle right. m- uh, lunch for uh, for snacking it. Correct. And the final one on this list is Charles Darwin. Oh yeah. How old was he uh, when he published the Theory of Evolution? Uh, was it in his seventies? Nope he was he was actually fifty. Oh okay, so he was younger. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. He just yeah. looked 70. Okay. Apparently, yeah. Well, because he, he looks like a monkey. You know, what do you expect? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's uh, dovetail on that. I did pull up some actors. Now, this doesn't mean that they didn't – that they started acting in 50, but they are generally considered to have broken out to become household names after age 50. I'm not going to go through all of them. I've got a list of 15, but I'm going to go through the big ones. One of my all-time favorite villains, Ricardo Montalban. Montalban. According to Ricardo this, Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalban. Although he started acting at 23, it's considered his first major achievement was Escape from the Planet of the Apes when he was 51. Wow. He soon started playing Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island, but it was the star of Star Trek II, the foil to Captain Kirk, that everyone thinks of and has put him on the map for the entire planet. And he was 62 when he played that. Wow. Okay. That's pretty amazing, isn't Come it? On. Come on. Yeah. I actually uh, remember I'm... seeing him in one of his early roles. Did you ever see the movie uh, Battleground from 1949? It's a World mm-hmm. War II movie. Uh, he was great in that one. I think Ricardo Montalban is one of those guys that I, I'm so glad he never gave up because I don't know how he didn't get discovered sooner. Like he, he was working, but he didn't become like the guy we all know. Until Fantasy Island, really. Uh, Planet of the Apes put him on Hollywood's radar. Fantasy Island put him on everyone's television show. Every actor wanted to be on an episode of Fantasy Island. And then, boom, Wrath of Khan, and he never looked back. Especially uh, Naked Gun. You know, played the bad guy yeah. in Naked Gun. <laughs> uh, we'll go here to John Mahoney. Ooh. You may not know him off the top of your head, but if you were You, you think I don't know who that is? <laughs> of the sitcom Frasier. He didn't begin that show until age 53. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I saw him in things before that. He used to always play like a cop or a judge, things like that. Do you ever see the movie Suspect with Dennis Quaid and Cher? So he plays the yeah. judge in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was, wasn't necessarily a household name yeah. or as big, but until 53 when Frasier came along. Wow. Okay. Uh, this one's fun. My wife watched that animated show. Uh, what's it called? The, the Horse... Oh, it's an animated adult kind of comedy 
But they always talk about uh, character actor Margot Martindale, okay. the female actress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you ever saw her, you'd realize, okay, I've seen her in everything. According to this, it wasn't until Justified when she played one of the one of the uh, matriarchs of a Kentucky mafia family that was all into the uh, upper uh, Blue Ridge Mountains of Kentucky, all involved involved in crime. Uh, Justified is what put her on the map. She was age sixty. Wow. I got just a couple more. Dame Judy Dench. Now, if you're in the UK, you're like, but she was acting her whole life. Yes, on stage. And everyone loved and her. And on TV. She was on a, she was on a sitcom for, for many years. Yeah, there was sitcoms. But according to this, it wasn't until 1995 when Dame Judi Dench rose to a new level of fame when she be, took on the role of M in GoldenEye, part of the James Bond franchise. That's fair. I actually would have I would have even pushed it off for another three years and say that that her breakout was when she played Queen Elizabeth, you know, oh, in, the, in Shakespeare in Love. She was on um, Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, <laughs> and won an Academy Award. And everybody goes, she was on screen for six minutes. That's right. <laughs> By the way, she was sixty one when she initially started off with Pierce Brosnan's version of of Bond and went all the way through Daniel Craig's Skyfall. Yeah. Number three, Betty White. Now, she was a popular lady all the time, but it wasn't until the Mary Tyler Moore show in 1973 when when Betty White really became a household name. She was 51. Wow. Number two, which we should all know, Morgan Freeman. He may have started off on Electric Company reading to you on PBS, but Morgan Freeman identified in 1987 in the movie Street Smart as his breakout role he was actually age 50 and got him a Best Actor nomination. Two years later is when he did Driving Miss Daisy, and he's never looked back. That's right. And finally, and I can't believe I didn't even think of this guy, and that's why I love lists that you can just pull up online, Christoph Waltz. Ooh, for sure. He's 53 years old when he played the role of Hans Landa in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. He became like, who's this guy? Where's he been? We want to put him in everything. So Christoph Waltz was 53 when he really hit the big time. Wow. That's a great list. All right. Well, we definitely want you to come back tomorrow as we continue the scene. But in the meantime, if you're on social media, you want to engage with any of us, you can certainly find Welcome to Minehead, the Bowfinger Minute. That's uh, the Listener's Center on Facebook. You can also find the Bowfinger Minute on Twitter. Just look for Bowfinger Minute. If you're out and about, whatever player you've been listening to, I mean, maybe you started listening because you're a friend of Rob or you're a friend of mine or you're a friend of a friend of a friend, and you just gave this a try for the first time, take a second to like, maybe even subscribe. And while you're at it, hey, send us a review. That always helps the podcast and helps put a little more light on this big compilation project we're doing. And just like we have social media for this compilation project, each of us has our own individual projects. So, Movie Rob, why don't you tell folks how people can learn a little bit more about some of your movies by Minutes Work? Well, if you want to listen to any of my four seasons of uh, Movies by Minute, season one was The Great Escape, season two was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, season three was Die Hard, and right now, or right, actually we're pretty much right in the middle of season four, which is when when Harry met Sally. This week, we're actually doing the orgasm scene. So anyone who wants to, uh, you know, take a listen, you can find me very simply just by doing a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me 
on my website, moveredminute.com. You can find me on Twitter and you can find me on Facebook. And my buddy Walt Murray and I started The Wilder Ride several years ago, initially doing movies by minutes. Season one was a breakdown of the Gene Wilder classic, Young Frankenstein, and we rolled right into Blazing Saddles for season two, where we broke down each of those movies one minute of screen time per episode. All right, with that, come on back tomorrow. In the meantime, keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together, children. I hope that we'll see you again. Cause there's always one more